Come and dream with me. Hello, welcome to What You Want to Watch, the Expansion Network's premier mini podcast. Every week we get together and talk about movies, TV, and online content. Help you answer the question Is Martin Scorsese the most talked about person in film this year? I think so. I'm your host, Asher Hobley. Joining me today, Dylan Blight. Let them fight. <laughs> Which, who in particular? The Russo versus the Scorsese. <laughs> Godzilla I mean, versus Kong, you know? I mean, that's one fight, you know? No? Yeah, give us the Scorsese Godzilla movie where God- yeah. Scorsese plays Godzilla or voices Godzilla versus everybody. That's what the people want. You know, he's fighting so many battles and so many fronts and just taking everybody out. Why not? Why not? Uh, on today's episode, we'll be talking about what's in our watch history, going over some film news, giving some thumbs to trailers, and giving you this week's top three. Uh, I'll kick things off. Uh, the Brisbane International Film Festival is currently taking place here in Brisbane. So I've been able to go see a couple of films that won't be coming out anytime soon. Uh, kicking things off with Poor Things, the latest film from Yorgos Lanthimos, uh, based on a screenplay by Tony McNamara, who previously did, obviously, uh, The Favourites, uh, the great uh, TV series, uh, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, William Dafoe. Um, so... Emma Stone plays a young woman named Bella, who is actually uh, the body of a 31-year-old woman who committed suicide, but with the brain of a three-year-old put into her body. Frankenstein-esque. So from the start of the film, she's kind of still infant-esque, learning about the world. She's being uh, kept at home by her creator-slash-father, uh, God, I guess, is what is regularly referred to. Uh, Dr. Goodwin Baxter, uh, played by Willem Dafoe, uh, a heavily prosthetic Willem Dafoe, um, who then uh, enlists the help of a assistant to, like, kind of track, you know, uh, Bella's progress. Um, Bella starts to uh, learn about the world and her body, uh, starting to have, like, a sexual awakening, I guess. Um, and soon finds herself running away on an adventure uh, with uh, uh, Mark Ruffalo's uh, Duncan Wedderburn uh, across the country uh, in the world. Um, fantastic movie. Just very weird <laughs> is the word that definitely comes to mind first. Very funny. Um, definitely one you don't want to watch with anyone you would be awkward about seeing a bunch of sex with. Because it is very sexually heavy. <laughs> a lot of fucking. Um, <laughs> just straight out saying. Um, yeah, it's just really odd and weird. Obviously, you know, Yorgos Lanthos, you know, he's, he's a little bit eccentric and that kind of stuff. A lot of like fisheye lenses and odd camera moves. Um, really interesting set designs with like really weird painterly backgrounds and. Uh, extravagant sets. It's like very Victorian Britain, like time period and that kind of stuff. Um, 
but yeah, it it was thoroughly enjoyable. Like, um, even though there's all these kind of weird shit happening and like William Defoe is playing this dude whose father like pretty much committed a bunch of like experiments on him. And he thinks it was all in good good moral taste and that kind of stuff. Um, and there's a bunch of like, uh, if you're super sensitive, I don't think this is a movie for you. Cause obviously they use a bunch of like terms and terminology. That's like very crude and that kind of stuff at certain times, like something, the characters, uh, Emma Stone is like incredibly brave throughout this entire performance, obviously playing like, uh, like a three-year-old at, at, at the start of the film with like, you know, um, crying about you know dropping a plate or like not wanting to uh, eat certain foods so she's like spitting it out everywhere and that kind of stuff um through her progression through her life story kind of um yeah just a really you know fantastic performance there mark ruffalo hilarious um as as the guy who kind of falls for her uh even though he's like a node womanizer and that kind of stuff um and his inability to handle uh, her not wanting to be with him 24-7 and that kind of stuff. It's very, very funny. He, the, the amount of tantrums and shit he pulls off in this movie. Very hilarious. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it, it's constantly brought, being brought up as a potential best picture winner. In my mind, it is like too weird. <laughs> like, I know we've had some weird... Like when is the Shape of Water is the the argument for if a if a girl can fuck a fish and win an Oscar, you know what I mean? Like Yeah, I know, but uh, you know, that wasn't up against I feel like, you know, usually with the Oscars it's like a weird movie and then like a pretty conventional movie. Mm. So last year we had the weird movie and everything everywhere all at once. So this year I feel like they lean more into a conventional Oppenheimer Killer of the Flower Moon Maestro old school plain not gonna be weird feel i i think it's a fantastic movie i highly recommend checking it out it's releasing here in australia on the boxing day i want to say off the top of my head um but yeah it is weird and out there and definitely going to offend some people (laughs) which is what you want to hear about a movie isn't it so uh looking forward to hearing your thoughts on that when you eventually get to watch it uh at the end of the year um I also went to see Anatomy of a Fall. So this is the uh, Palm Dior winner from this year, uh, following a uh, a r- female writer whose husband takes a fall out of their uh, or does French, he or does he takes a fall out of the, out of the well? Technically, he does fall. Okay. There's no doubt that he definitely fell. Okay, but was he pushed? Yeah, was it suicide or was he pushed? Is the question. Um, so this is a film by Justin Triette, uh, starring Sandra Huller, um, who plays a German speaking English in France. It's like very multiple layers of confusing. Um, but the yeah, obviously her husband takes a fall out the out of their sh- chateau um, and dies. Uh, only to be discovered by their uh, visually impaired son. Um, so then it just follows like the police investigation and like uh, the eventual courtroom uh, court case in which they kind of like debate whether uh, 
she killed him, or it was a suicide, pretty much. Um, very fascinating, very strong performances. It's definitely, as well as being kind of like a mystery, I guess, it, it that's not really the main thrust of the film. It's kind of the examination of the relationship between uh, Sandra, Hula, uh, Sandra um, and her husband Samuel's like marriage and that kind of stuff, and whether... Um, whether they can get the jury or the courtroom to believe, you know, uh, she committed the murder. It isn't exactly clear if there's a jury or if it's just a b- bunch of judges. I don't know how the French uh, court system works. And it is very different to, like, any other courtroom. It just seems like they can start questioning people anytime they want. You know? Objection! Yeah, kind of. No, th- there's no objections, but the, you know, there's a the prosecutor is a dick. <laughs> At least, you know, if you're coming from the angle that you think Sandra is uh, innocent, you know, he comes off as a, uh, you know, a dick. Um, and yeah, it just seems like he can start questioning her who's standing, like, in the prosecution, like, whenever he wants um, about anything. Um, but yeah, really fantastic movie, really well shot, beautiful performances by a lot of uh, performers, uh, very obviously multilingual. Like at certain points, they need to speak in French, and obviously they, but they speak a fair amount of English. Um, if that's a turn off for you, I guess. Um, but yeah, it, it's a really fantastic drama. The really cool courtroom uh, film, uh, and definitely you know this exploration of marriage and. Um, what you owe to each other and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Or I will say, uh, trigger warning, there's like a moment of like weirdly animal cruelty that's kind of like just glossed over. That's kind of weird um, that, you know, will make more sense when you actually watch the movie. But um, yeah, Anatomy of a Fall, go check it out. I think this is releasing in Australia on the 25th of January next year, so... Looking forward to watching it in three months. Four months. That's five the months. releases in Tassie. Six months. <laughs> you know. Seven months. Maybe, like, obviously, that or, this was also getting like an Oscar push, so I don't know, you know. But it didn't get the French. It didn't get the international slot, is what I remember was a, the story around this film. Um, so it won't be up for international best feature. Um, but yeah. Hopefully they show it around you. I don't know. Uh, yeah. So I've got a couple of other uh films I'll be seeing this week. So looking forward to talking about them. Uh, I'm going to see Shortcomings, the Randall Park director film, uh, and then I'm seeing Saltburn this week, which uh, I've seen has gotten very positive reviews from others who saw it this week. Buddy went opposite to you. Buddy is like first movie was Saltburn. I think. Yeah. So. Reverse. Reverse. Alright. Uh, Dylan, you've got a review up at Explosion.com for Hell House LLC Origins, the Carmichael Manor. Yeah, so Hell House LLC, I watched the first one. I haven't watched the, any of the sequels apart from this one. Um, the the first one is this like found footage horror film. Um, it was really good. I really enjoyed it, but I just never had enough urge to actually... I just assumed the sequels would be shit, because it's like, that's a good idea, but no way it works for sequels um but like the first one's like the, these people like basically rent out um 
uh, like this this horror house I get you know like you, you know like horror houses with like creepy stuff that people walk through and whatever um like a bunch of people die in it and something like that and then um a documentary crew or like a bunch of people trying to make a documentary basically go back through that house um to try and like figure out what happened and investigate it and stuff and then you know creepy stuff starts happening um in there it was really cool I liked it um never watched the sequels I kind of want to go back and watch them now because so jumping to this one this is the fourth film um but it's a, a it's a prequel whereas other ones from my understanding were actually set after the first film um this one is in a completely different building so this is not no longer people dealing with the that case now this is in a, a manner um but it does tie it into the the overall arching law i guess um by like connecting characters and and stuff and like it's but it basically all comes down to some weird fucking cult is like like a lot like all weird things but this movie fucking clowns man i like fucking creepy clowns really get you like it, it, you guys are the thing i'm like i put it in my review i'm like found footage horror movies are like they're either like they're either like really shit and not scary or actually good. And then like clowns are either laughable, laughably not scary in movies if they're done bad. But this movie just fucking clowns, like fucking creepy clowns. Um, this is what that movie is. It's this, it's this group of three. Yeah, three. So it's a, it's a, it's a couple and one of the girls, uh, brothers, they come along and they're at this manor where uh this family like was mysteriously like murdered and shit like in the 80s and they decide to stay there for four nights they're trying to make a documentary about the what happened here and like see if any spooky things happening um they, they've heard it's haunted you know like let's stay in the house for several nights because it's haunted that sort of um set up and then yeah as the nights progress it's more and more of like weird stuff you know like a bowl rolls down the floor typical sort of stuff i think one of the creepiest scenes in the movie is um as i write and reviews this one of the girls uh is trying to like talk to her boss or something on like a zoom call and then she her job is like um like fixing up houses or whatever like th that sort of sort of thing and she tries to open up she's like oh yeah i'll just share my computer and i'll show you the the files here and she like double clicks on a um a file on a on a, a desktop there and then the video starts playing she's like wait this is my video and it's a fucking person like walking up the stairs in the house she's in until like comes up behind her and there's a fucking ghost girl next to her it's, it's a fucking weird and then by the end of the movie you just got like fucking freaky ass clowns doing shit and then everyone dies and it's great so yeah i think i gave it like an eight i don't know something like that yeah on shutter it's on shutter check it out uh so you watch the slasher film slash time traveler movie totally killer yeah this is really good so if you're looking for something to watch even though halloween's over now um if you're looking if you're you're a day late dollar short and you're like it's november but i still want would like to watch a, a fun like this this is a horror movie Ash can watch this is what that this is the category this this falls into this is a, a comedy horror that's like it's it falls into yes. the category of ash can watch this ash can enjoy it so if ash can watch and enjoy it it means you dear listeners can also probably enjoy it <laughs> is is the rule uh so you got uh uh, what's her name? Karen and Shipka, uh, okay, Sabrina. Uh, she like uh plays this character in the like 2000s or whatever, and her um, and then like the serial killer comes back 
who was a serial killer around from like her mum's days um and then she gets attacked by this person who's called the sweet 16 killer and the, the funniest part of this movie is just like they sort of throw it out like she's got like a super f- smart friend who for a science project in college or whatever they're in in america she's trying to invent a time machine and she can't get the time machine to work so then like when the killer attacks they're at like this place where she's trying to build this time machine and then she runs into it with the killer attacking her and then the killer stabs the time machine which apparently actually makes the time machine work and it's um then sends her back 35 years so now she's back in the uh, 1980s where her mum's a teenager and um and she knows all the the girls she recognizes them like you are the three girls that are going to get killed by the sweet 16 killer and the sweet 16 killer never gets caught so it's now this it's sort of back to the future because you've got the the child interacting with the the parent but also like not wanting to tell her obviously that i'm your your daughter which is why you have that funny part in the the trailer that's in the movie as well where she's like mom mamita like, like, tries to say like cover it up it's, she's very that. very good and she's she's very funny in this movie i thought um um kernan shipka uh she's very good um yeah, and then you just just got this whole thing like she tries to like change it, but then of course because she's trying to the the movie does a good thing with the typical time travel thing where you know they make fun of it. They're like time travel movies don't make sense. You literally have the part where they go like try and she goes and tries to tell the sheriff, one of which is played by Randall Park, about like this murders that's going to happen, and she's, she's like, "Don't you like watch time travel movies?" And Randall Park character is like, "I really like time travel movies. They never make any sense, you know, <laughs> that sort of mm. stuff." So it's quite funny um and then as she tries to change stuff so these girls will no longer get killed um then like the way in which the killer reacts changes because she's sort of changing history and stuff like that um and then you do flash they flash back well not flat they flash aside i guess to to what's happening in the current day because this movie does the thing where it's like um it, it does the whole uh, even though she's traveled back in time, time occurs concurrently. So the people in her current timeline are still trying to find a way to fix the time machine so they can get her back. Um, her best friend and um, some of her family members and stuff like that are trying to find a way to get her back as well. And they're like being able to view like photographs from the eighties that are like changing as she's like interacting with the world at the time. Um, yeah, I, I, I would really recommend it. I think it's a, a super fun, um, quite funny at times slasher. That's really enjoyable. Awesome. Uh, so that's about a lot on Prime Video. Also on Prime Video is the new Wiggles documentary, Hot Potato, uh, the story of the Wiggles. Um, you know, it, it just, you know, it's as advertised. It's the story of the Wiggles, uh, from the early days as, uh, a bunch of uni students studying teaching, um, who, you know, become friends and start a band of children's performers, um, through to their making success several years later. Um, really interesting, obviously, like delving into the early years of the Wiggles, and like this isn't a story I've like ever gone to the effort of like exploring about how they kind of got big. Like they kind of it was very much a ground up, like uh, you know, start from the bottom, and now they hear a story of like they would like perform at like children's parties and so that kind of stuff, and eventually they kind of just. Uh, they started making their own uh, cassette tapes and uh, VHS tapes and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, just uh, a really interesting look, um, obviously, through to, you know, uh, it's also, like, weird, it, it's weirdly cut together like a, like, 
a music documentary, which, you know, makes sense. But, like, it would cut to them performing songs like you would, like, cut to a band, like, performing their songs, I guess. You know? Um, even though the Wiggles are a band, I get it. It's like, But they're, you know, a children's band. You wouldn't expect them to be put together like this. Um, but also, it's it's cut from footage of the original band members performing, like, one of their adult shows as well. So it's not like a bunch of kids, like, watching them as well. Um I mean, the documentary from, uh, I haven't watched it yet, but I do want to watch it. Um, from my understanding, the way they've talked about it, it's like, this is a Wiggles documentary for people who grew up watching the Wiggles who are now adults. So, yes. This is definitely yeah. what it feels like. Um, yeah. Definitely kind of delving into it, kind of following their, like, developments. Like, they talk about how they, why they introduced to Doris. One of the more interesting things about the film, and I wish it would, they kind of delved into a little bit more, but it might just be because they've got such a massive catalogue, is, like, they kind of explains like, how some of their different songs came together and like why they they work with kids and why kids enjoy them um, and that kind of stuff. And they kind of like get into a little bit of the thought process and um, the, the teaching elements of a lot of the songs and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, really fun, nostalgic film. Um, there are other elements that I wish they kind of delved into a little bit more. Like obviously the, uh, they, t- they, go into uh, Anthony's, like, depression and how he came out, out about that. And they go into Greg's, um, Greg Page, the Yellow, Yellow Wiggles, um, health issues and how he he was the first one to retire and was te- the role was taken over by uh, Sam. Like, I don't know if you remember this. Um, but then, after five years, Greg came back and Sam got... And they kicked him out. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> that that's that's the elements of the story and that I kind of... And then he retired again! <laughs> That's the part of the story that I feel like they they kind of like, oh, his contract came up, so he was always going to leave at that point. It's just coincidence that Greg uh, came back at that point as well. Um, and then they have like they have Sam in the interview, and he's like, doesn't really want to touch on it too much. Like, he just, you know, I just wish that kind of had been explained a little bit more. Uh, yeah, and then they like go into the next iteration of the band with uh, Emma and... Lockie and Simon and that kind of stuff um, and everybody kind of retiring and through to the current iteration where there's eight different Wiggles at the moment. <laughs> um, you know, one core member remains. Yeah, what, only one core member remains. Um, yeah, I thought it was really good. Good uh, documentary, again, kind of delving into, like, obviously focused on the original four, but uh, definitely having all the other voices like they're talking about stuff. It's like, like, it's kind of odd, some of the stuff that they decide to focus on. Like, they have, like, a big section about the, uh, like, a version performance. Uh, the, them winning the Hottest 100. It, and you can definitely tell this documentary is not necessarily... It's not an Australian documentary. It's like, we're trying to explain what the top the Triple J Hottest 100 is. What Like a Version is. Like, uh, obviously for American audiences and that kind of stuff, so... Uh, yeah, definitely worth checking out. Um, a really fantastically put together documentary, uh, with uh, a fantastic Australian success story. So, all right, Dylan, you've watched the first couple of episodes of the new season of Invincible. Uh, yes, I've watched the first two episodes of uh, Invincible season two, part one, because everyone loves to do parts now, apparently. Um, very good so far. It's hard to like talk about the first two without spoilers and stuff because obviously the first season 
sort of ends on this massive moment um, with the the big fight between uh, Mark and his uh, his his father, whatever his name is, I can't remember. Omni Man. Omni Man. There we go. Uh, so they have this big brawl out, and obviously there's the, a lot of people die. I mean, obviously, it's a, how could you forget? That's the the fucking craziness that is the finale of Invincible. Um, this season starts with the the fallout of that, and at least from my gathering, it seems like the first maybe this whole first arc is just going to focus on um mark dealing with that because he's he's i mean he's depressed like let's just put, mm-hmm. it, put it down there like he's he's not he's not doing too well his dad turned out to be a villain um he blames himself for the the death of like all these civilians and stuff like that because he was unable to to stop his dad and you know like, like there's he's just dealing with like a lot of emotional trauma between that sort of stuff while also trying to still get back into the superhero business um What's his face? Uh, Cecil doesn't at first in the first episode doesn't really want anything to do with him because um, because there's a little bit of trepidation around like having him come back to work after everything. Then you've got some other superheroes that uh, aren't like super um, like a bit more judgmental about him because they're like maybe you're like your father. Like you, it's all the whole. It just seems to be like all this fallout from the the events of the first season. You've even got his mother now. She's dealing with, of course, the fact that she's like my fucking husband who I thought loved me was a piece of shit who called me an animal, basically. <laughs> like, you know, like all this um, sort of fallout from stuff. And then even amongst all that, Mark's still trying to like, you know, apply and get into the right colleges or whatever with his uh, girlfriend and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, two episodes in. I've got a couple more to watch. The, it's out this week anyway. Uh, yeah, very, very, very much enjoying it. But, I mean based off the first couple of episodes, I'll say this, which is that the first season started like pretty like low hearted and stuff. But yeah, this season just coming off the way that the second, uh, the first season ends, it's just like, it's not as like funny, happy go lucky, at least c- coming into it as it was. It's like, not to say it's a bad thing. It's just like, how do you go off that story beat into having the same tone, you know? Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, looking forward to checking that out later this week. Uh, Dylan, you watched Last Stop to Last Stop Larima, Larime, Larima, Larima, Larima. Okay, moving um, down. <laughs> this was really good. Um, I don't know where it came from. Apparently, it was a HBO documentary, and I yes. d- um, I, uh, I don't recall ever seeing the announced or anything. Du- Plus brothers? Yeah, the Duplass brothers like produced it or whatever. Um, I don't. I never actually seen it. Somehow this has fallen under my fucking fallen under my. I missed it somehow. But anyway, I see it like scrolling through the other day. I was like, "What the fuck is this?" Quickly read the synopsis. And I was like, "Oh, Australian Outback, middle of fucking nowhere." I'm like, "Sure, let's watch this." And I just stick it on. It was really, really good. So it's like this town in middle of butt fuck nowhere, Australia. Um, there's like eleven people that live in this town. Um, and they, they set up the, the first start of the, I think it's two episodes they broke it down to, or was it a full movie? I can't remember. Fuck. I don't know. Um, but they, the first like act is more or less putting together, Hey, it's, uh, you know, 11 people, everyone here loves each other. Everything's great. Um, yeah. And then someone eventually disappeared or probably died. Um, they, this person went missing and it's boiling down, going backwards from that. Um, there's a lot of old footage from, um, from they had a lot of footage because a documentary team had gone in there or like a seven news team or something like that had gone in there years prior just to be like hey like 
let's talk about this small butt fuck town and like what goes on in here and like let's interview a bunch of the people which is why they have footage from the the dude who goes missing but then there's a lot of new footage being um interviewing the people that live there and what they think happened in the years after um and then yeah it all it does have i was worried it wasn't gonna have a payoff because a lot of the documentary scenes are just being like okay we're gonna end this with and i'll be like yeah that was like interesting but you know they never actually figured out what happened um but yeah if you if if you watch it and you get to that same stage as me just just hang on because you, you you they get a they get a zinger there towards the end that um definitely helps put a cap on the end of it so um but yeah it's really well put together a lot of wild characters there's just that's what makes this work a lot of very outrageous high personalities uh <laughs> for this small town um yeah and it's australian just weird shit that's going on here so um yeah really enjoyed it would recommend awesome uh and then you've also started watching happy valley yes i've watched the first season i watched the first episode i think the other day of say so i met i never heard this show until this year right and then at the start of the year i remember saying happy valley season three started and it was like all over the charts just watch charts like people listen to happy valley show i'm like what the fuck is this show and i remember looking up the third season seeing it getting rave reviews and stuff like that i'm like okay maybe i'll like add that to my list and and go back and start it eventually uh so i the third season's on binge i'll get this out of the way because it's annoying straight away third season's on binge first two seasons on Britbox. so there's your, your you have to go to two streaming services if you want to be able to watch the full thing but anyway first season was 2014 second season a couple of years later they brought that out in like 2016 and third season only came out this year so there's a huge gap of time between um second and third and even a couple of years between the first and second but it's all set in this same town it all focuses on the same character and although it may look like a, a normal sort of police procedural it's very focused on a bunch of characters and um stuff that affects them and their life so the first season the setup is you've got Catherine, who's a sergeant yeah sergeant and then she has she's looking after her grandson but straight away shit gets kind of dark because you learn very quickly that there's a dude who was in prison for eight years who's getting out in the first episode and he raped her daughter and she had a child which is her grandson however after that she killed herself so you never meet her so she killed herself before the series starts because of and the the sergeant the cop she blames this dude um you know because he raped her he doesn't actually know he has a kid either so you already like got all these like oh shit i can see how this is gonna sort of come come together then the the the, the thing that i really like what this show does is on the other side you have a dude who is he's asked for a raise from his boss doesn't get it so and he's a dweeb this dude's a fucking like he wouldn't he wouldn't kill a fly fucking pussy motherfucker this dude right and he he goes out and he he, he figures out that there's a dude he finds out who like the local drug runner is in this town and he says, oh, I want to get some money. Like, let's split it. I've got an idea. This dude's like really rich. Um, let's kid- kidnap this dude, my my boss's daughter, and we'll hold for ransom. So you're seeing all this. So there's no there's no mystery in the show of like who's doing what. You know what's happening because it keeps cutting between the good guys and or the quote unquote good guys and quote unquote bad guys, right? But one of the dudes that the local drug lord, Pinkin dude, hires to help him do this is this dude who just got out of prison, who raped the, the the cop's daughter. So you've now got all these intermingling, like separate cases, but you know, as a viewer, like there's a lot, once once people start realizing who's who here, this shit's going to start like intermingling a lot, a lot more. Um, 
so that's like the setup of the, the the first episode, I guess. It was really fucking good. The performances are fantastic. Um, it's yeah, it's it's really like so every now and then I feel like, and I'm annoyed I missed it. It's like sitting in the uh, sorry, sitting in the IMDb top two fifty TV shows as well. So it's like it's definitely well up. But I'd never heard of this until this year, so it completely floated under my um my eyes and stuff but yeah the, the especially the main performance of sally um sorry not sally uh sarah lancaster she's really really good as um the the main co- uh, co- lead character and stuff and then james norton who plays uh the the piece of shit um rapist and stuff he's a really good piece of shit is how <laughs> I'll, I'll put it like you gotta yeah you, i hate him but like he's definitely gets the, the role right um then jumping into the second season which i did watch the first episode of i was like so i was like okay what is the second season gonna be about is it like more like is it just another case and like without spoiling the first season how it ends in case anyone listening to this decides to watch it i mean even though it's like coming out from 2014 but um the second season no it it starts another case However, the same case still continues to connect to a lot of the lead players from the first season. So it's it's a continuing on of like how this this the, people's decisions affect people. And you've even got um the girl. I know that's, that's kind of a spoiler, but even the, the even the girl who's kidnapped in the first season, she becomes a regular cast member for season two and stuff. And like how her like what what she decides to do with her life, um, all these sorts. Yeah, so I'm really really keen to keep watching it, um, and as it continues, so. Good shit. Awesome. Uh, all right, let's move into the mandatory Netflix segment of the show. Uh, and I was able to go see an early screening or a cinema screening of the upcoming Netflix film, The Killer, uh, the latest film from David Fincher, uh, starring uh, Michael Fassbender as an assassin. Um, pretty much, you know, it is a very uh it is a very basic story like the plot of this movie could be explained very very simply um i won't because you know i don't i think you know that takes away from a little bit but you know it is a very simple story but the the details of the film is in the mythology the the psychology of um michael fassbender's killer who um his uh work how he does his work like the film opens with him on a job he uh is set up across the road from his targets waiting for the target to get back to their place of residence um and he's like you know he's got gloves on like the entire time he's wearing like ankle socks the entire time so he's not going to leave any fingerprints or footprints um you know, he goes about his thing. He's like constantly checking his watch to check what his heart rate is because he needs to keep his heart rate at a certain level to like pull off the shot correctly. Um, you know, he'll drink from a like specific cup that he brought to this location by himself, so he doesn't leave any DNA tracks. He like sprays everything down and that kind of stuff. It's like a lot of like mythology and thought process behind each action but it's it's very much a showcase of how an actual assassin would like here's how you actually should kill people kid this is how you should get how this is how you could kill people and get over it kind of Mm. um so in that regard is kind of messed up and that kind of stuff um but yeah like it is a very interesting look like um michael fassbender doesn't have much actual dialogue in the film um, he does have like a a lot of narration. Um, he has an ongoing narration through the entire film, 
um like kind of explaining his thought process and like um beliefs and that kind of stuff but he is like super charming despite his uh uh lack of talking <laughs> he's a very quiet dude i think in the actual movie he has like maybe i don't know 20 30 lines maybe um but yeah just a really fantastic film obviously it's fincher it's like shot fantastically tilda tilda swinton shows up um and has like a really fantastic sequence um where she makes a a really hilarious joke that you would not expect to be coming out of tilda swinton's mouth um yeah it's just a like really well put together movie i don't know if it's like any of fincher's best work because it is such a simple plot um but is really engaging and it's going to be up everybody's alley i I think it's going to be very watchable for a lot of people like people are going to dig it because it's uh got a very interesting style michael fassbender is really great um a lot of uh interesting soundtrack a lot of a lot of interesting like uh like lo-fi music in the film like that he kind of listens to uh to like prepare and that kind of stuff folksy kind of stuff um my one criticism it's got like the weirdest opening credits that i've ever seen in a movie it's like the most incredibly jarring thing like the film was playing it has the netflix logo to start off and then just bam straight into opening credits and it's like over in like a minute something it's like damn they he didn't put much it's just so odd in a world in which we're kind of so used to like the the slow progression into the movie of multiple uh, studio logos and that kind of stuff. And you'll probably, most of the time nowadays, you'll have like some sort of like cold open before like an opening credit sequence. But uh, straight into it. Very weird. Um, I mean, in the end, a bunch of people are going to just skip over it. But uh, yeah, <laughs> it was like very jarring in the moment. It was definitely something I remembered by the time the film had ended. I kind of hope it was like Fincher purposely being like, you're not skipping my fucking credits when this is streaming on Netflix. <laughs> like It's like, show them to you straight away so you won't have time. I mean, to... Fincher, Fincher loves a good um, good credit sequence. Like, he's well known for his credit I mean, sequence. it wasn't great. It was just fast. <laughs> and, and there. I mean, I, I don't know if you care enough to answer this question, but, like, did you notice the score at all? Because Fincher, Fincher with Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross has become, like, a... I would... I think this is the least obvious score by them okay like i i've seen like it wasn't like a selling point of the movie i mean by any mind it doesn't have to because like they did social network too but social network like is considered like yeah really but that is like well, but... yeah it it definitely was not the most uh, a memorable part of the movie i'll say that in my opinion yeah. i've yeah. seen other people who really dug the score and that kind of stuff but it's like i don't really remember any piece of music in the movie which is, which is odd, but like could just be also focused on what was happening on the screen, like visually. Um, but yeah, really fantastic. Uh, I think it is. What date is it? It's coming to Netflix on the tenth of November, so only like a couple of weeks away. Um, but yeah, if you can see the cinemas, go see the cinemas. All right, that's everything in our watch history. Let's move into a little bit of film news. Uh, and the big film news again revolves around Killers of the Flower Moon this week. Um, 
with uh, Killers of Our Moon intermission violations. Apple mm. Paramount cracked down on a handful of theaters breaking agreement. Martin Scorsese did not include an intermission in these 206-minute epic Killers of Our Moon, but it hasn't stopped a handful of movie theaters around the world from inserting one themselves with intervals ranging from 6 minutes and 15 minutes. As of Friday morning, two European theater chains and one independent theater in Amsterdam sold tickets of screenings to Killers of Our Moon with a built-in break. Uh, a spokesperson for UCI Cinemas uh, confirmed that all of its nearly 80 theaters, with the exception of IMAX screens in Porta di Roma, Oria, and Campi Disazzino, had included a six-minute interval towards the middle of the film. Uh, View, a UK-based theater chain in Amsterdam, Amsterdam cinema called The Movies Halberdich, also were offering breaks with the, according to the websites. Uh, domestically, a theater in Fort Collins uh, showed the historical drama with intermission until October 26th. However, they did away with the intermission after getting in trouble with Paramount, the film's distributor, and Apple Original Films, the producer. Uh, the companies have been contacting theaters that have violated their contract by splitting up the film and telling them to show Killers of the Flower Moon as intended, according to an individual with knowledge of the situation. To be clear, only a smattering of venues out of the roughly 10,000 globally that are screening Killers of the Flower Moon have included an intermission, but it hasn't gone unnoticed. Thelma Schoonmaker, the editor of the film and longtime collaborator with Stokesy, said, told the standard, I understand that somebody's running it with an intermission, which is not right. That's a violation, so I have to find out about it. Uh, yeah, Dylan, what are your thoughts on them cracking down on intermissions? Yeah, good. Um, <laughs> people, there's I don't like there's just I don't understand. Like I'm very confused. Like uh, like as to like this there's this whole like Marvel fan base versus Martin Scorsese on social media thing that's happening. Um, it's very fucking odd. Makes me sad. Um, the but they should all be knighted about long movies. Yeah, right? well, that's that's other part that confused me. I'm like, my man, my dude's made a three and a half hour movie. The fucking last there was a three hour Marvel movie or, or two hours fifty nine, whatever the fuck it was. Anyway, close enough. And where was all this crying about it then? Like, what at what point does half an hour really make a difference? Um, I people have been saying things like, let people pee, go piss. No one is stopping you from peeing. To clarify, no one is stopping you from getting up and taking a fucking piss in the middle of the movie theater, right? Well, not in the middle of the movie theater, but in the middle of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Go pee. Um, I think it's. Uh, I mean, yeah, I continue to sound like an old man on this podcast when it comes to cinema stuff, but and I was continuing. Um, adding um, intermissions to movies that weren't designed to have intermissions is uh, cutting up and basically destroying the art in the way it wasn't meant to be done. So, um, yeah, you don't do that. Yeah, I'm and the only reason, it. and people acting like the cinema chains are the good guys, and be like, "Oh, they're, they're looking out for your pee." They don't give a fuck about you taking a piss break. They want you to go out there and spend money on popcorn. Hmm. So let's not well, act they like wanna... they're the good guys. <laughs> no, no, like the cinema is the last place where you can like watch a a film as intended by the the artist. So many people who are like, "Oh, I want to see the movie, but I need to take, I want to take a break in the middle." It's like. You don't really care about seeing the film as a you don't not seeing the film as a film. You're seeing it as a piece of content to be consumed. Yeah, yep. Because you know that the length of it is an intended element of the film. I'm assuming. Not well, the, the, the length, the length isn't an intended element. Like no one's no, he didn't sit down and go, "I'm going to make a three and a half hour movie." It's just three and a half hours because that's the the length that turned out to be with the story he wanted to tell. Right? You know. 
So, Which is his intention, like yeah. But I mean, like he, complete he, he story. didn't send out to he didn't. No one sat down and said, "I'm going to make a movie so long that people piss their pants." Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and again, like I've seen a lot of people being like, "Oh, it's ableist." Uh, like there are people with small bladders. Like, um, go pee. But also, you know, you know, it's three hours thirty six minutes. Like, it's good. But, you know, if you can't watch the entire thing in that time, don't go see I the cinemas. I took a piss in Killers of the Flower Moon. You know what I did? I just, you get a thing. You get good at this in movies. You wait, wait, you, wait, you wait, go, wait. Did you? Yes. You said last week you didn't. No, I did. I realized I did afterwards. I realized I did. I remember when it was. Oh, my God. So I was a liar. Yeah. Liar. Yeah, I remembered. I did. So I, I, I did. And here's what I remembered. It was like there was a there was a big part, right? Massive moment. And then you 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 go quick, right? And then once you know you once you you got this damn tag, it takes like thirty seconds, right? If you're a male. <laughs> or yeah. a, anyway, the if you go you, quick, go. I mean, you know, if you have to sit down, whatever, just quickly. Like what you wear, just think about what you wear to the cinema. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, you know you're going to <laughs> don't a wear a jumpsuit. This, this <laughs> is a, you're going to go see this movie. It, it shouldn't be a surprise. The length of it, you know. So prepare. Don't drink a bunch of liquid before you go. Yeah, see but the movie. I, I'm also like I like I, I accept I have a, a smaller bladder. I believe than 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 the, the normal person. Like I know that I, like a three and a half movie. I'm like I'll probably have to pee. Yeah. Is what it is. I can if either choose not to. That, I can either yeah. choose not to have my my drink here, or I just take a quick pee. Yeah, you know, if you know it's going to be a long movie, don't fill up on a bunch of liquid beforehand. Yeah. It's you know, the average That's body a- takes like three hours to process all the liquid yeah. that you drink. I, ju- so I like- just, I just don't get it though, because I'm like, if you if you miss thirty seconds of a movie, like you just like it doesn't. It, you sit down. You, you quickly figure out what you've missed. Like you, you you're not gonna, you're not going to be that lost. It's fine. Or you know, just don't go see the cinemas. I guess you know if you don't want to watch it the way as it was intended. You know, I would never be able to run a marathon, so I would not enter a marathon. <laughs> you know, <laughs> am I wrong? <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> I think the comparison is fair. Uh, but also, I feel like, as someone pointed out, they also need to crack out on this because they just need to stop any theater chains altering films in general if they've agreed to screen it the way they've been screened. Like, you had the theater chains, I want to say, when Lightyear came out. And the, the theater, some theater chains were like, we're going to fast forward through this same-sex kiss. Mm. Um, you know? you can't, you got to crack down on that shit as well. There's so you need cha- to be There's also chains like board. fucking around with the aspect ratio on Wes Anderson movies. Yeah. You, you need to crack down on all that shit. Because mm. it, it's not right. But they should also be cracking down on like making sure it's presented properly with the correct lighting and the sound and all of that stuff yeah. as well. But, I think know. I need to crack down on people recording in cinemas because I, I opened TikTok this morning. I'm pretty sure I've seen every scene from that Five Nights at Freddy's movie online already. So I don't know what the fuck's going on there. But, you know, what can you do about 
people with phones, you know, other out. than, well. <laughs> I mean, there's just too many Gen Zs, you know, there, <laughs> filming TikToks. You know, you can't kick everybody out, you know, you just outnumbered at that point. It's so weird. Like, it's just this, like, I, I've said before, I've seen it at Marvel movies a lot. Like, every time, like, a big character moment or, like, death or, like, a villain is about to appear, like, all these, like, Gen Zers, like, whip out their phones. And I, I, I like, just to post the moment, but I'm like, none of you are going to be the first. Like, like I, I don't know. Like, he's just sending it to each other? Like, you're all sitting here watching the movie. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. You're not, you're not going to win the chase for clout, you know? Yeah. It's fucking weird. It's weird. But yeah, just prepare yourself, you know? Wear clothes that you can quickly prepare to go to the yeah, bathroom. Quick, quick. Dax, you can quickly if you know, down. Obviously, Run P is like a very no- well-known app mm. that'll let you know when you can take bathroom breaks in films. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just uh, know your body, you know? Research, like, how long it's going to take this liquid to get through, you know? I'm sure there's some kind of training you could do to, like, Sustain. Or just go pee and not make a big deal out about it. Like, I just yeah, I don't stop complaining like, about it on the internet, you know? Yeah. Stop forcing your bladder on other people's art, is what yeah. I'm hearing. You know? God. Uh, all right. So, there's an interesting study that came out this week. Apparently, if Gen Z has its wish, gone will be the days of gyrating teens on screen seeking drugs, sex, and recklessness, a la Euphoria. What? The new. The new UCLA (laughs) Teens and Screen Study, conducted by the Center for Scholars and Storytellers, found that across 1,500 members of Gen Z ages 10 to 24, young people want more relatable stories that emphasize platonic relationships instead of sexual content. To note, only respondents aged 13 to 24 were asked about intimate content. Uh, Adolescents opted to see lives like their own on screen, which included less romance. Uh, 48% of adolescents feel that sex and sexual content is not needed for the plot of most TV shows and movies, with 51.5% wanting to see more content focused on friendships and platonic relationships. Uh, Dr. Yalda T. Uls, founder and director of the CSS, uh, said, while it's true that adolescents want less sex on TV and in movies, what the study is really saying is they want more and different kinds of relationships reflected in the media they watch. We know that young people are suffering an epidemic of loneliness and they're seeking modeling in their art to they consume. While some storytellers use sex and romance as a shortcut to character connection, it's important for Hollywood to recognize that adolescents want stories that reflect the full spectrum of relationships. Dylan, what do you think of that information? Man, teenagers are changing. <laughs> mm. But teenagers just want more sex on TV, you know? Yeah. Was this a uh, survey anonymous as well? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's actually a bunch of like 40 and 50 year olds. No, it was like they're all in the room. They're like, oh, do you guys want more sex in your. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, I'd hate that, said little Timmy. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I get it. The part, I guess, about like more, of, like, I, I get like the, the second half of that of um more relationships between like like especially girl guy or you know like that sort of like stereotypical stuff like more portrayals of just friendships instead of romance on <laughs> in movies and tv i get that part um taking out i i think i only read the headline this story it popped up and had a picture of euphoria so i was like 
don't know the complaint that euphoria has too much sex in it i'm like i I, like the show's just not for you like the show the sex is the sex and whatever i mean i think they just use euphoria as an example because it's a massive show and obviously but it's also not it's it's not really made for that like they're saying like 13 to whatever the show's like no absolutely like yeah so it's this whole weird thing again where it's like okay should the 18 plus show being shown to 13 year olds no so what the fuck does there 13 to 24 to be fair <laughs> yeah i know but there's only like age gap there. um yeah I get, I get half of it but also i'm just like i don't know like i know that 13 year olds probably don't actually watch tv they just watch tiktok anyway um even 24 year olds probably don't even watch tv you know so what's their opinion matter to me nothing <laughs> wow um i mean yeah it, it's an interesting survey especially when what I see a lot on social media is so much shipping culture around shows and wanting characters to get together and mm. that kind of stuff. Like it seems juxtaposed with this idea that all these teens just want platonic relationships and no romance. And Fucking Gen Z, man. They just want everything and nothing then, at the same they, time. They don't know what they want. That's <laughs> what I'm hearing. Um, but yeah, I thought it was an interesting study. And then the other interesting piece of ca- information here at the bottom, uh, all and familiarity, familiarity is also found in the comfort of binge watching, with twice as many surveyed adolescents opting for full season drops uh, instead of weekly episodes released. So, for every one, there was two that wanted full season drops instead of weekly content. What's no that patience. Say? That's what I mean. No, oh, I want everything. They want everything at the same time. I want it all now, and then they're watching the day, and then it's, where's the next thing? You know, so needy, so want, so wanty. Just young people, no patience days. anymore. All right, uh, Dylan. Every week, there's so many new projects announced uh, that we just can't cover it all. Is that? <laughs> so we like <laughs> there was, <laughs> and there's starting to be again uh, in the segment we like to call "Would You Want to Invest." Uh, in this segment, I let Dylan know about uh, a bunch of different projects, and he tells me if he would like to fully invest, partially invest, or not invest in these projects, and then history will be the judge of whether he is right or wrong. So yeah. Finally, can do the segment again with uh, the writer strike over. There's a bunch of scripts again. They just can't make them yet. I mean, some of them they can make. Some of these are like sag after got interim agreements and that kind of stuff. Uh, but you know they're definitely an element of getting their ducks in a row uh, for some of these so yeah let's jump in uh, writer directed Courtney J. Camarota has wrapped production on her first feature Dead Guy a dark comedy shot under an interim agreement that will be introduced to buyers at uh, AFM by CAA Media Finance among those in the starry cast are two-time Oscar nominee Michael Shannon Global Gold, Golden Globe winner Eva Longoria Judy Greer Louis Guzman Amri Nol- Noloski, Rory Culkin, Curtis Armstrong, and Ashley Reyes. Des Guy's plot is set into motion when an abrasive old man suddenly dies in the apartment of a neighbor. An absurd game of hot potato then begins with the not-so-dearly departed as neighbors and building workers each pass the body along in the hopes of not being linked to the old man's demise. Crazy how they turn that wiggle song into a movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, fully invest. Sounds sounds funny to me. <laughs> All right. Uh, next up, 
William H. Macy, John Corbett, Joel Courtney, Devon Franklin, and Stephanie Sostak among those set to star in On Fire, another new film from Sean McNamara uh, that has landed a SAG after interim agreement and will begin production in St. Louis November 6th. Uh, believed to be the first feature to be, take advantage of Missouri's new production tax credit, On Fire was adapted for the screen by Gregory Poirier. Uh, the film picks up with a nine-year-old O'Leary as he's been given virtually no chance of survival after being burned in a harrowing accident over 100% of his body. In his fight to live and show us what's impossible, he winds up leaning on his family, faith, and the entire city of St. Louis, including the legendary St. Louis Cardinals announcer, Jack Buck. Uh, partial invest sounds mildly interesting, but also yeah. sounds like it could go for three hours. Man, I don't know if people watch that. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, all right. A new adults animation limited series from Community and Rick and Morty writer Dan Gooderman is coming to Netflix. Carol and the End of the World is set to debut on Netflix with ten episodes on December fifteenth. Martha Kelly will star as the titular character, Carol. Carol and the End of the World is a love letter to routine, a show about the comforts of monotony, an animated and existential comedy about the daily rituals that make up the gaps that made up our lives. Uh, With a mysterious planet hurling towards Earth, extinction is imminent for the people of the world. While most feel liberated to pursue their wildest dreams, one quiet and always uncomfortable woman stands alone, lost among the hedonistic masses. Uh, yeah, partial invest, I guess. I they'll promote it from the creators of Rick and Morty, or from one of the creators of Rick and Morty, I guess. Comes this new animated he's series. He's just a writer. One of the writers of Rick and Morty comes this new hit series. So I'll partial invest. Okay. <laughs> Cheryl Lee, Ralph, Timothy V. Murphy, and Bruce Greenwood have boarded the Fabulous Four, a new comedy from Bleecker Street. The actors join an ensemble that also includes Susan Sarandon, Bette Midler, and Megan Malley, as previously announced. Ralph takes over the role of Sissy Spacek, who was uh, attached as a last fall, was forced to drop out due to scheduling conflicts. Uh, written and directed by Jocelyn Morehouse, the Cannes Prize winner, best known for her Kate Winslet pick, The Dressmaker, the film follows three lifelong friends who travel to Key West, Florida to be bridesmaids in a surprise wedding of their college girlfriend, Marilyn. Once there, sisterhoods are rekindled, the past rises up again in all its glory, and there are enough sparks, drinks, and romance to change all their lives in ways that were never expected. Nah. I'm out. No vest on that one. What's the no vest option? Non vest. <laughs> A non vest on that one. I've got to save some money. Uh, in what's become the first go picture for the Film Nation Entertainment production startup Infrared, the boy star Jack Quaid will star in Novocaine, a Lars Jacobson scripted action thriller that would be directed by Dan Burke and Robert Olsen. In Novocaine, he plays Nathan Kane. He was born with a rare disorder, CP- CIPA, cognitive insensitivity to pain, which means he does not feel physical pain. He grew up a sheltered life, learning to blend his food so he would not unwittingly chew off his own tongue, and he learned to wear a timer to remind himself when he needs to go to the bathroom. But when his bank is robbed and his new love taken hostage, his affliction becomes his greatest strength as he sets out to rescue her. 
apparently it just feels like he's got a bit of Bruce Willis from Unbreakable and a bit of John uh, Keanu Williams from John Wick. The hope is to launch a franchise as Infrared gets off the ground with a slate of pictures behind as well. Yeah, why not? Fully invest. That sounds like something that I could make some money on. <laughs> uh, Yvette Nicole Brown and Johnny Dumbfounded Park have joined the cast of K-Pops, the film marking the directorial debut of eight-time Grammy winner Anderson Pack, uh, which we were first to report on. Uh, Park joins the cast of the dramatic comedy after developing the project of Pack, who leads the cast alongside his son, Sol Rashid. The film is about a washed-up musician from Los Angeles who attempts to revigorate his career by joining the band for a K-pop competition show in Seoul and discovers that his long-lost son has a chance to front one of the country's hottest new groups. He jumps at the opportunity to capitalize on his son's stardom for his own renaissance, but learns that fatherhood is much more fulfilling and meaningful. Nah, no invest. I hate fatherhood. Hate Asians. Uh, Sam Rockwell and Kumail Nanjiani have closed deals to star in A Guy Walks Into a Bar, a dark comedy from director Gary Fledler, uh, the discouraged interim agreement from Sagaftra. Uh, written by Scott Rosenberg, the film to be shot in New Jersey watches as a mild-mannered new father befriends a charismatic but yet mysterious man at a bar and soon suspects him of concealing a troubling secret. Uh, yeah, full invest. Sounds like a good idea. I like the payment ball. <laughs> uh, Oscar Isaac, Jason Momoa, and Gerald Butler are set to star in crime thriller In the Hand of Dante, with Oscar nominee Julian Schnabel directing and Martin Scorsese among the executive producers. Based on the novel by T- Nick Tosh's it follows the story of the original manuscript for the Divine Comedy emerging in the clutches of a black market smuggling ring in the dangerous underbelly of New York City, and weary scholar Nick is called by the mob to authenticate it. Overwhelmed by temptation, Nick defies the mafia and steals the manuscript in a frenzied bid to have it all. He follows a dark and violent path with a, from a metaphorical hell in paradise, hell in paradise with his love, Guelita, while a parallel tale unfolds the odyssey of Dante himself a man who's trapped in a loveless marriage with Gemma and bolstered only by his mentorship within Auster intellectual he escapes to Sicily and creates his greatest work immortalizing his lost long his lost love Beatrice Nick and Dante's timelines weave separate paths and yet two men are inextricably linked both lose themselves chasing love beauty and the very promise of the divine No. Nah. <laughs> right. Porky Pig and Daffy Duck, I'm one in. of the most beloved <laughs> comedic duos in showbiz history, are set to make their return to the big screen in this sci-fi comedy adventure, The Day the Earth Blew Up, a Looney Tunes movie. GFM Animation will launch worldwide sales on Warner Brothers Animation produce the actual feature at the American film market and will share first look footage. The Day the Earth Blew Up, a Looney Tunes film, is the first ever fully animated Looney Tunes feature-length movie created for movie theater audiences. Uh, 
Porky Pig and Daffy Duck star as unlikely hero and Earth's only hope when facing the threat of an alien invasion. In this buddy comedy, the heroes race to save the world, delivering all the laugh-out-loud gags and vibrant visuals that made the Looney Tunes so iconic, but on an epic scale not seen in the franchise before. Yeah, fully invest. Double invest. It's crazy. Take the rest crazy. of the money. And the second crazy. here. I've got no money left. <laughs> all right, there's a couple more movies. Uh, crazy, crazy. This is the first like fully animated Looney Tunes film. I like, mean, cinema movie. You didn't see space? You didn't see Space Jam? No, but that's partially live action, oh, yeah, so it doesn't count. Okay. Following the massive success of Netflix's One Piece, Taz Skyler has found his next big project as he set to start. He's set to co-star opposite Daisy Ridley in Cleaner. Martin Campbell is directing the film will shoot at the top of 2024. Uh, the timely action thriller set in present day London will see radical activists take over an energy company's annual gala as the Shard, the tallest skyscraper in Western Europe, seizing 300 hostages in order to expose the corruption of their hosts. Their just cause is hijacked by a zealous extremist within their ranks who is ready to murder everyone in the building to send his message to the world. It falls to an ex-soldier turned window cleaner, Joey Locke, played by Daisy Ridley, suspended 90 stories up on the outside of the building to save those trapped inside and take down the killers, whilst also finding a way to bring the corrupt energy moguls to justice. I thought that was a very long description for that movie. It's a window cleaner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm fully investing. All right, last one. I wonder if he'll have three swords. Oh, no, three mops. <laughs> oh, no, he's not playing the window cleaner, so, I mean, he's probably the, the, the villain, you would assume. Yeah, okay. One of the villains. <laughs> but da- maybe Daisy Ridley has multiple mops. squeegees. Squeegees, yeah. <laughs> All right. Chiwetel Ejiofor, Karen Gillan, and Jacob Tremblay have joined the cast of The Life of Chuck, latest of many Stephen King adaptations from filmmaker Mike Flanagan. Which kicked off production in Alabama under. <laughs> you said you had no money left. Uh, Tom Hiddleston and Mark Hamill lead the ensemble of the pick, written and directed by Flanagan. Uh, based on three interconnecting stories from King's 2020 anthology, If It Bleeds, The Life of Chuck examines the existence of his subject, Charles Krantz, in, reser- in reverse. Fitting in is with his death, aged 39, for a brain tumor, and ending with his childhood in a house believed to be haunted. Fuck, I'm so happy. But my favorite news about this when this popped up the other day, my favorite cast member casting is Mark Hamill. I'm like, has now Mark Hamill joined the uh, the uh, Mike Flanagan regulars? I'm fucking all aboard this. This is the best second thing ever. Because he's so good in um, House of Usher. How many episodes you watch? I think I'm four. But I, I'm, I'm committed to my, like... Like, as you can tell, like, I started watching Happy Valley, and, like, I'm fucking, I'm savoring this. Don't don't take my non-rush as, unlike these Gen Zers who want to binge watch everything, I'm fucking, I'm enjoying it, right? Good yeah. shit. Sunday night. They should have released have it weekly. <laughs> fucking, that's where I need to be, yeah. Uh, Alright, let's move into giving some thumbs to the trailers. Of course, you can find all the trailers we're about to talk about in the show notes below. King things off, we've got Leave the World Behind, directed by Sam Esmail, starring Julia Roberts, Mahersha Ali, Ethan Hawke, Mai Hala, and Kevin Bacon. 
A family vacation on Long Island is interrupted by two strangers bearing news of a mysterious blackout. As the threat grows more imminent, both families must decide how best to survive the potential crisis, all while grappling with their own place in this collapsing world. Dylan, what do you think of the trailer? For Double thumbs up. I have no fucking clue what's going on, but I can't wait to watch it. Uh, it's one up, one down from me. You hate trailers that don't tell you what's happening. As, is, no, a common, just, is a recurring you know, theme. If you don't understand what's happening, you're like, no, nah, I don't understand what's happening. I mean, there's enough mystery and elements in there, but it's just kind of like... Now, here's, here's my know, question. Did click. you look up this person? Because this person did the resort. Yeah, it's Sam Esmail, the guy behind the Mr. Robot. And yeah. yeah a bunch you like of the resort, stuff. right? I did like the resort. Okay, now you're getting this one up, one down. Yeah, I don't think, you know, it's a super engaging trailer. You know, it, it, it looks like a knock at the cabin knock off. I think this is one of the best trailers I've watched all year. I think if I was doing the top 10 trailers of the year, this would be in it easily. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> is where I'm at on this. Just the, the, That's why I'm fighting you on this one. I, I feel like this is one of the best trailers I've seen all year. Okay. If you say so. Yeah. Uh, so this is releasing on Netflix December 8th but in some limited theaters, but I didn't see any dates for here in Australia. No. Next trailer is for Wicked Little Letters, directed by Thea Sharrock, starring Olivia Coleman, Jesse Buckley, Anjana Vasan, Malachi Kirby, Eileen Atkins, and Timothy Spall. Based on a true scandal that stunned 1920s England, the story centers on neighbors Edith Swan and Rose Gooding in the seaside town of Littlehampton. One day, a series of obscene letters begin to target Edith and others with suspicion falling upon Rose. As the outrageous letters continue to escalate, Rose risks losing both her freedom and custody of her daughter. Police officer Gladys Moss is determined to find the real culprit and, along with a group of other women, seeks to solve this perplexing mystery. Dylan, what do you think of this film? Double thumbs up. Jesse, Jesse Buckley and Olivia Coleman swearing at each other. 10 out of 10. Yeah, it was two thousand up for me as well. Like <laughs> it's like uh yeah, some of the language and then people having to read it is hilarious. Um Yeah. It's interesting because what, it was Jesse Buckley played a younger version of Olivia Coleman in The Lost Order on the thing, yep. say? Yeah. So them interacting with each other in this movie is great. Um But yeah, just the you know, Olivia Coleman looks like she's in her element, you know, this kind of genre like fits her. Uh, and yeah, it it looks like it's going to be a good time. Uh, so this one is releasing on the twenty first of March, twenty twenty four. But it is the closing night film for the British Film Festival, which is about to kick off. Uh, so it is playing in most capital cities on the 29th of November. Uh, so you know, look that up if that's something you want to see sooner rather than later. Not in Tasmania, sorry. Sorry. Next trailer, Dashing Through the Snow, directed by Tim Story, starring Ludacris, Tiona Paris, and Lil Ray Hyrie. A divorced social worker for the Atlanta Police Department despises Christmas due to a painful childhood memory. When sent on a call while spending Christmas Eve with his daughter, he inadvertently evokes the wrath of a local politician, but meets a man who helps him understand the joy and magic of Christmas. So what are your thoughts on dashing through the snow? Uh, I'm going. I'm going to go one up, one down. Um, I think this looks like 
the, the poster and the cast and synopsis and everything would make me go, well, this is probably going to be terrible, surely. And I watched the trial. I was like, you know what? Maybe. It's ludicrous. It is. <laughs> that was the best line in the trailer. <laughs> oh, yeah. What a beautiful way to work that in. Uh, also, yeah. I just remember my no, my favorite thing in the trailer is just Lil John in the background, like whatever song he's done for this, and just hear background, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this is one up, one down for me as well. Uh, I'm the opposite. I don't think it's a fantastic trailer, but I enjoy all the people involved. Like Tim Story is obviously a solid director, like. Little Ray Howard is very funny and stuff, you know, ludicrous. You know, finally ludicrous getting leading a role. <laughs> you know? After it's a, after being such a successful part of the Fast and Furious franchise, finally gets a leading role. Uh and you know, this is what you expect from a Christmas movie, you know. This this level of, of, of stuff. Uh so yeah. This is releasing on Disney Plus the seventeenth of November. Uh we can also announce here a very explosion network Christmas. It's coming back. Our Christmas movie podcast uh, will be breaking down the Santa Claus of season two, which kicks off next week. Every week, we're probably covering a bunch of Christmas movies releasing this Christmas period. So check that out. Uh, subscribe to that podcast feed. Uh, next trailer is for Lisa Frankenstein, directed by Zelda Williams, starring Catherine Newton, Cole Sprouse, uh, Lisa Soberano, uh, Henry Eikenberry, Joe Crest, and Carla Gugino. Uh, in 1989, a misunderstood teenage goth girl named Lisa Swallows reanimates a handsome corpse from the Victorian era during a lightning storm and starts to rebuild him into the man of her dreams by using a broken tanning machine in her garage. After going through a playfully horrific transformation, the romantic duo embark on a murderous journey to find true love, happiness, and a few missing body parts along the way. Tom, what do you think of this trailer? Uh, I'm going to double thumbs up. This this tickles my fancy. Tonally, it just looks weird. Um, obviously, it's in more of that weird fantasy horror genre that I'm more likely to enjoy, I guess. Um, I really like the cast. Uh, it looks like a lot of fun. And I, Zelda Williams' first feature, I believe? Yep. Um, yeah, really cool. So... Um, and then, yeah, obviously, the you've got the script from Diablo Cody. So, yeah, um, double thumbs up. Yeah, this is two thumbs up for me as well. I think it looks like a lot of fun. Um, my only issue is maybe he looks a little bit too handsome. <laughs> I mean, he's supposed to you be know, handsome, for, right? for, But he's a dead corpse. Yeah, but know, a handsome dead corpse. I guess. Uh, but, yeah, just the vibes of it. Just the, the obviously, her using a tanning bed to bring him back to life is hilarious. Um yeah, just so aesthetically, it looks really cool. Like the gothic vibes, and like even them making a joke. I hope she gets out of this goth phase soon. Um, yeah, Catherine Newton looks fantastic. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited to check this out. So, this is releases in the US on the 9th of February. No current Australian release date. Final film for this week, final trailer for this week Maestro. Directed by Bradley Cooper, starring Bradley Cooper, Carrie Mulligan, Matt Bomer, Maya Hawke, and Sarah Silverman. Maestro is a towering and fearless love story chronicling the lifelong relationship between Leonard Bernstein and Felicia Montalegre Cohen Bernstein. 
A love letter to life and art, Maestro at its core is an emotionally epic portrayal of family and love. Dylan, what did you think of this trailer for Maestro? Uh, yeah, double thumbs up. I mean, it's a very well put together trailer. Um, like how it shows all the different time periods and how it seems like every different time period, um, the sort of the the way it's been shot is framed around not only like the black and white, the color, but just the, the oval the overall way the camera moves and stuff seems to be changing between the the generations and stuff um yeah it looks really interesting i i don't know did the nose get toned down like was the was the it i feel like it wasn't as prominent or maybe that was i don't know one photo i don't know but um yeah i'll double thumbs up for the trail all right uh yeah i'll give it two thumbs up as well obviously it looks like it's going to be a really great biopic uh, Carrie Mulligan looks really good. Bradley Cooper does look good. I know, yeah, again, but I, the nose wasn't that much of an issue. It was like the old man prosthetic that they have at the start of the film. It's like, oh, that doesn't look fantastic. Mm. Or I guess maybe it does because it just looks very old <laughs> uh, and unrealistic like. Um, but yeah, looks really good. Obviously, I don't know that much about conducting. Do we need to watch Tar before this to understand conducting? Uh, as an art form and why you know why americans are bad at it <laughs> why why does it take so long for an american to become a good conductor seems like it's pretty simple just white grounds a bunch right and then everybody else plays the instruments and then you get all the credit is that am i wrong you've gone too far My- <laughs> <laughs> just bad mouthing conductors everywhere uh maestro releases uh in theaters on the 7th of December and on Netflix on the 20th of December. Uh, let's move into this week's top three. Definitely in the top three. Uh, and this week, we see the release of Sly, the documentary about Sylvester Stallone. Also, this year, we've seen uh, Still, the documentary about Michael J. Fox, and the Arnold, docu- Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary series. So, this week's top three is. Top three actors they should make a documentary about. Dylan, what's number three? Uh, number three, I went with Michael Keaton. Uh, I think there'd be really interesting rise and then like sort of plateau and then coming back up again. Uh, Michael Keaton is sort of like, I, 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 I sometimes fall into that thing of like, maybe you don't make documentaries around people until they're dead, but then if they're not dead, at least like in like, they've had enough you can talk length of a career that you could talk about them and i guess also like as long as there's nothing like super um you know nefarious in their careers that you you know that you're not going to be able to at least cover that unless they pass away or something i don't know like yeah so i feel like michael keaton would be really interesting because he had such a, a big career with the the comedy tv show stuff and then obviously the batman casting and then um other stuff and then sort of plateaus in his career and now the re uh, Resignificant resurgence of him as like a starring man and uh, 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 award winning and stuff. Yeah, so yeah, number three. Uh, my number three is Meryl Streep, like one of the most Oscar nominated actresses of all time. Uh, lengthy career. Uh, I feel like you know someone could surely find a good story to tell about Meryl Streep. You know, uh, you know whether you interview her or it's a bunch of interviews with other people talking about Meryl Streep I think yeah that'd be a fascinating documentary just delving into her filmology Dylan what's your number two number two is Robert Redford 
So I looked it up. There's been a TV movie doco done before, but I'm not counting it. I'm I'm going like I want a full like high caliber Rob, Rob, Robert Redford documentary that not only chronicles his career but also has a, a big part about um, the the Sundance and all that sort of stuff, like the the later end of his career and like how important like giving you know the stage to upcoming filmmakers and all that sort of stuff is to him as well as his early career where he was like you know, such a big Hollywood star and ladies man and whatever else, you know, stuff like that. My number two, kind of in the vein of Sly, Bruce Willis, you know, 80s action star, um, obviously started off in like a, you know, romantic comedy. Like it it definitely was not the peak to be an action star, uh, but then became kind of the everyman uh, action hero kind of chronicle looking his career and obviously then to his later years where uh, obviously because of his illness, he was, he subjected himself to peering in a bunch of uh, lesser works that maybe other actors would not necessarily have taken on a bunch of paycheck jobs and kind of like delving into that and what the, those kind of movies entail would be an interesting documentary. So yeah. Um, yeah. I think Bruce Willis while he's still around would be a good subject. Dylan, what's your number one? Michael Caine. Oof. Just retired. Um, perfect time. Catch him while he's still, you know, able ace. Do a big old doco. Whole career. Can't, can't argue with that. Yeah. Uh, mine, in a similar vein, Clint Eastwood. You know, very lengthy, extended career. Um, both on screen and behind the camera. Um, I think, you know, surprising that hasn't been like an in-depth documentary yet in my mind that I know of (laughs) about Clint Eastwood and his career. So that would be my number one. Dylan, this week, what do you want to watch? Um, uh, movie wise, Nyad comes to Netflix this week. So like to watch that about um fuck can't remember full name but the australian swimmer right swimmer diana Nyad. diana Nyad. there we go diana i was like i can't remember the name uh so that's that was in cinemas got a short run but obviously didn't show you any of me so netflix this week for that um and tv show would be continuation of invincible mm. uh so my pick for a film this week is Fingernails coming to Apple TV Plus, uh, starring Jesse Buckley, Riz Ahmed, and uh, Jeremy Allen White around uh, a facility that thinks it can figure out if you've met your soulmate through fingernails. I think that we watched the trailer for that. Looked mm. very fascinating. Uh, and then on the TV front, I want to check out uh, what was it Blue Eyed Samurai the new animated show coming to uh, Netflix about a samurai. <laughs> Looks fantastic. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited for that. Let's know what you want to watch this week or what your top three documentary or actors they should make a documentary about by going to explosion.com slash Twitter or jump into our Discord at explosion.com slash Discord. If you want to help us out here at what you want to watch, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. Leave us five stars, any Quinley five stars, or just tell people about the show. And if you've enjoyed this episode, thought is worth a dollar, 
head on over to our Kofi page at explosion.com slash support. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, keep watching stuff, I guess. <laughs>